Thank you for tuning in to Talking Bay 94, the Star Wars podcast devoted to interviews with the cast, crew, and creators of a galaxy far, far away. I'm your host, Brandon Winerdy, and today I'm talking to Ian White, who played numerous roles in the recent Star Wars movies, including Moroff, Bali Prindell, and Down. We talk all about his time as the Predator, working with Ridley Scott on Prometheus, and his journey to a galaxy far, far away. This is Talking Bay 94, episode 116, Ian White. I'm so excited to talk to you about everything. So uh, this should be hopefully painless. Hopefully no hard questions, no uh, nothing too crazy. So Okay. <laughs> no, hard <laughs> no, no hard questions. And yeah, I'll just, I'll really just jump in. Your, your story to kind of embodying these roles now is very interesting to me. And I'd love to just take it from the beginning of, was there a love for acting very early on? Or was it the love of basketball or kind of how... When you were growing up, at least, where did you see your life going? What was what was the dream? Uh, definitely not in this direction. No, this wasn't the dream <laughs> at all. If if I'm honest, um, uh, I grew up in a uh, uh, a military family. Very uh, in, in the early days, at least, uh, my father was still in the um, uh, in the reserves, in what we call over here the territorial army, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I was mad for it. I used to love sitting on my grandfather's knee, listening to all his old war stories and going through all mm-hmm. his old books and looking at the uh, his his memorabilia that he had from his uh, uh, time in the military that were that adorned all the walls in his house. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I loved it. I thought from a very early age, I thought, wow, this is what I want to do. I really want to do that. <laughs> and right. uh, I joined the Army Cadets when I was about 13 years old. And very, very quickly grew out of the uniform <laughs> and they couldn't find a uniform to fit me and i thought what hope do i have in the real <laughs> world as an adult if i'm mm-hmm. being asked to leave because my junior uniform doesn't fit anymore mm-hmm. so that was that as far as a dream uh, went and but i discovered <laughs> basketball very very soon after that and um followed that path for many many years but in terms of acting goes, no, I was I was in you know you know the the school productions sure. um, once or twice a year, but no, I never really got the bug until somebody gave uh-huh. me an opportunity, and it was only an opportunity that created um, that created the spark within me. Incredible! And so let's talk about that opportunity. Of course, your first role is. <laughs> It's very cool, just on its own. Would would warrant its own podcast. Just just that one. Um, the the call, I guess, to to play Scar, uh, was the first. I, I would assume. What was that process like? How did you get involved with Alien versus Predator? And kind of what was the what was that result? I got a phone call one day from the secretary of the basketball team I was playing for, and she said, "Listen, we've got a casting director on the phone um, who wants to talk to you. Can I give her your phone number?" Mm-hmm. And my first reaction was, well, nobody wants to put me in a film, surely. Uh, yeah, go ahead, give her my number. And five minutes later, Suzanne Smith rang, and she was casting for Alien versus Predator. And she said, can you please come down to London? We're looking for somebody like you. We're having, you know, problems finding someone like you. Will you audition? I said, yes, of course I will. Um, is there anything I can do to sort of pre- prepare for this? She says, yeah, just just watch the film. And at that time, she hadn't told me what it was. And I said, well, what film did I watch? She said, Right. Watch the Predator. 
<laughs> I said, what, Arnold Schwarzenegger? He goes, yes, that one. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> And and so we're, when you watched it, and then as you continued to watch it during the the process of embodying that character and putting on that costume, and it's obviously a very iconic silhouette and and profile. Did you have anything kind of going through your mind? Your first acting performance, obviously on a pretty very large scale. Were you trying to kind of channel something, or kind of what was your process to initially become? become the predator i guess yeah i you know it's it's defined by its physicality you know at heart there are so i went through the um uh, you know the original films uh, second by second moment by moment to try and extrapolate some sort of uh physicality that i could you know uh, include in my own performance but i really wanted i really wanted it to be more than just uh you know an alien you know i wanted to right. humanize it in in some manner right and I quite often you'd always use this technique when I'm playing creatures ever since uh, this first opportunity, you know, try and find something human. Right. It may not be uniquely human, you know, um, bees can be angry, lions can be angry, elephants can be angry, but it's a right. human emotion or rather they display um, a behavior that we uh, interpret as, as anger, but a lion or an elephant or in, or a bee or whatever can't lie on a couch and tell you on a scale of one to ten how angry they are. Right. In that respect, it's it's recognizably human. So I try to find something that I can engage with that is you know that can be understood as a human emotion. And in terms of the physicality, you know, it could be just a, a, a cock of the head, uh, the um, uh, uh, flex of the fingers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Just a shrug of the shoulders or anything like that. You know, it's it's all it all speaks something. Mm -hmm. I would love to just keep talking about Predator briefly because you did both AVP and then, and then Requiem as well. And you were able to kind of embody a role for multiple times in a sense. Did you bring anything to the, to the sequel that maybe you had learned, you know, from Alien versus Predator that you then kind of tried to, to continue that journey for yourself or how did you approach the the sequel yes well it was a completely different character um i was studying chinese martial arts at the time and i tried to bring a lot of that mm -hmm. into the physical performance uh particularly uh, um a quite strange uh style called bagua mm -hmm. uh which i only partially learned but the knowledge that i did have i used to great effect in the um uh, developing the character uh-huh uh, and then, I mean, you, it's interesting because we'll talk about Star Wars momentarily, but but then as you kind of work your way through Hollywood productions of a sort, uh, the Goblet of Fire is just an interesting – we're talking about big budget movies, and that franchise to me is so distinct with being maybe the the biggest budget kind of thing. And I, when I talk to the people that worked especially on the visual effects of that movie, you look at all – eight of those and how, how they change over two decades, right? How, how they kind of continually grow. And so you're thrown onto Gobble of Fire. And I'd love to just talk about that for a moment, just like being on that set and, and feeling that energy. What did you experience and how did you kind of channel that in any way? Uh, Gobble of Fire was um, the film where the ages of the characters started to uh, resemble the ages of the actors that were portraying them. Mm -hmm. And uh, you had all these um, 
uh, martial artists who are playing the Durmstrang boys right. and these uh, um, elegant uh, dancers from the West End who are playing the uh, the Beau Baton girls. And honestly, the um, the daily energy was <laughs> so much fun. The uh-huh. people watching was absolutely incredible. <laughs> The flirting going yeah, on yeah. was just Olympic standard. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> uh, I would be remiss not to talk about Prometheus because with Predator, for instance, there's not a lot of emoting that you were able to do with your face. And with Prometheus and with that character that has been so teased and mysterious for years, right? Like we had no idea what, what – what that would have been like and Ridley Scott obviously had an idea for for that the the last engineer what what was different for you and how did that kind of continue to grow for you as you that that character and all those challenges and linguistics I'm sure that were involved all those things what what did you take away from that production and working with Ridley Scott and that incredible cast well, it's uh, one of the beauties of working with uh, a director like Ridley Scott is that uh, there's very little direction going on. Wow. Um, he comes on set and you start talking, start talking about anything, tea, coffee, his favourite glass of wine, what was on television last night, the, uh, the, school, the cricket score, mm-hmm. the rugby score, whatever. And then because you're so relaxed, you just go straight into the scene. Wow. And there was a moment where we shot the scene uh, – the first time, the uh, awakening scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and the guy, Pierce and I, after, after the scene, just uh, stood around chatting for about <laughs> an hour and a half, just waiting for... There was some sort of technical adjustment to made to the cameras or something, and uh, yeah. we have just started chatting and chatting and chatting, and next thing we know, an hour's gone by, and wow. um, <laughs> still there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I do uh, Prometheus. I think when it came out, people were expecting a certain type of movie, and I think that the response to it has grown over time. And really, kind of understanding what really Scott was trying to do with that, and really appreciating it for what it's worth. And I think the engineer and that story and the the backstory and the weight that it gives is so fascinating. Even now, with you know Alien Covenant and all these other aspects of of the mythos being involved. How, if any, was was the engineer explained to you? And then especially, I'd love to go back to just hearing it, he talk, I think was a very surprising thing as well. And I'd love to kind of touch on that with you and any preparation you had to do or any focusing you had to do to kind of bring that to life in a unique way. Yeah, in, in, in terms of how the character was sold to me, I mean, in a nutshell, he's as confused to see them as they are to see him. Right. I mean, they're all in the same boat. Right. And yet he cannot. He knows what's alive inside his cargo, and he has no way of communicating right. to these people. <laughs> and in terms of the um, uh, the linguistics, the we had a very eminent uh, linguist who's actually in the movie uh, mm. in the um, in the journey in the journey to the stars. For want of a better term. Uh, um, uh, Fassbender's character is is seen learning some of the mm. alien language, mm-hmm. and the man who is in hologram as his uh, linguistics tutor that is the uh, he is the, the actual linguist who wow. um, who invented the language, <laughs> and it was based on. Uh, I had a really nice chat with him. He said it was based on a uh, a, a root language about ten thousand years old, when uh, just before they think. Um, Asian languages and European languages started to develop independently of each other. 
So it has it has elements of European languages and elements of Asian languages right. still still together. Right. Fascinating. Fascinating. Before diving into Star Wars, of course, Game of Thrones, and you you were able to play multiple characters through multiple seasons and see that grow and see the fandom really really go wild, which is fascinating to see on that end of things. How did you first get involved with that production? And then how did you know you you kept getting asked back to play a bunch of different characters in a bunch of different roles they you know like you were able to really channel something that i think they were able to to see in you which is incredible well the thing is i had no idea of the uh, popularity uh-huh. of game of thrones for the first four years because uh <laughs> the first season coincided with the birth of my son no oh. and so for the first four years obviously i if it wasn't on CBBS or the other children's channels, then right. they, they <laughs> they're, they're, not, they're not playing. They're not playing Game of Thrones on the children's yeah. channels. Yeah. <laughs> so it was only until about four years down the line, I, my wife and I finally sat down and we started watching it. And uh, it was only when one one died mm. that I was kind of exposed to the the, the actual you know, you know, the, the full force of the fandom. Because uh. my wife said, "Have you seen your Twitter?" <laughs> because, um, you really do need to have a look at that. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! How, how dare you die? <laughs> this happened to all my favorite characters. You all died. <laughs> oh my gosh! Incredible. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, for the people listening, you, you were saying you started watching it. it. Didn't take very long for you to see yourself, I guess, in the epi- in the in the show, right? Because first episode. First White Walker, like, doesn't take very long to see Ian White. Well, the first episode, you know, if you, if you weren't aware of Game of Thrones at the time, I mean, that scene, it's not even the first beheading in, right. uh, in, in the show. I think it's the second. Yeah. So that would have given you some idea of, um, of what to expect from the rest of the show. <laughs> I mean, with everything that you are, we've talked about, you, you said Guy Pearce, Michael Fassbender, uh, Charles Dance, you, you're, you're playing against incredible actors throughout all of your experience and you're growing as an actor and it's really cool again going through your filmography and seeing you kind of be able to embody all these different characters were you pulling anything from the people that you were meeting and working against or um, how was your kind of process evolving over all these roles yeah absolutely i mean those three gentlemen uh, as examples they're tremendously giving actors you know wonderful professionals uh you know i said to i I said to charles dunce when we were uh, doing that scene, I said, you know, don't be afraid to bite my head off. And it's just that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, it was like being a, it was like being a, you know, a naughty schoolboy in the mm-hmm. Masters. Of. Incredible. I mean, let's talk about Star Wars uh, uh, briefly. <laughs> uh, so, was it a, a Neil Scanlon production team reach out, or how did you first get involved with Force Awakens? And then, of course, your roles continued throughout throughout the the movies. But what was your first experience with that whole production team? I think it was, to be honest, I can't remember <laughs> exactly. I remember having a phone conversation late one night with uh, Brian Herring. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said to me, listen, I can't tell you. He's really excited. He, says, he can't <laughs> tell you what it is, what this is, but I can oh. tell you when it's set. He says, a long time ago, <laughs> there's this pregnant pause in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because Force Awakens, there was a big emphasis from J.J. Abrams and from Neil Scanlon, from that whole team to return back to the practical and to have the 
performers in suits and to have this world building that was exposed in the the backgrounds and stuff. And I'd love to talk about your roles and how you kind of approached those characters. And then Chewbacca stand-in as well. What was it like landing in a galaxy far, far away and having to kind of recalibrate yourself in any way to to kind of play these very uh, intense physical roles? Well, the first... uh... Uh, Force Awakens, I was fitted for three costumes, uh, Chewbacca uh, as a stunt double, and the other characters whose names I can't remember. Um, I won't try to pronounce them. Great, they, yeah, they're... The great big, huge guy in the desert, right. and the bloke who was um, a rebel kind of uh, thing. Anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, the first thing, uh, first thing I remember was uh, having a conversation with one of the production assistants, and I knew him from previous uh, productions that we worked on. And uh, he said, listen, there's a very, very, very uh, specific casting brief for Chewbacca, okay? And your eyes are the wrong colour. And I said, okay, well, thanks very much for having me in. Um, (laughs) See you again soon. He said, no, 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 wait, don't go. Um, He says, we want you to be the stunt double. Mm -hmm. I said, is that okay? I said, yeah, that's absolutely fine. I'll do that. (laughs) So two weeks later, um, I was heading down to the studio, uh, which is quite a drive from my house. Mm-hmm. And I, I booked accommodation in a small village called Datchet, which is only a stone's throw away from the studio. And just as I pulled out outside my accommodation, the phone rang, and it's my friend who was the production assistant. He says, listen, Ian, change your plan. Instead of having uh, a, a costume fitting and then a show and tell with the director uh, tomorrow and then going home and then coming back again for uh-huh. Monday morning to play shooting, you're going to come into the studio tomorrow, we're going to do the show and tell, and then you're going straight on a plane and going to Iceland. Oh, yes. And I said, um, that's great, mate, but um, my passport and all my other gear is at home. Uh. <laughs> I said, let me get back to you. <laughs> so <laughs> I made a few phone calls and I called him back and I said, listen, I'm going to go home right now. All right. I'll drive all the way back home. I'll pick up my passport. I'll get all my gear. Uh, yeah. And then uh, you can get me on the first plane from Newcastle to London tomorrow morning. <laughs> and then you can send me to Iceland, which is great. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> so I pulled, pulled a double shift at about two hours sleep, jumped on the plane at six o'clock in the morning. And then by, uh, and then by lunchtime, we were on the way to Iceland. And we spent two weeks in Iceland shooting uh, background shots, most of which aren't even in the film. Right. Yeah, I was trying to <laughs> think of which... Yeah, which it was all the background stuff for Starkiller Base. Got it. When it's in the snow, and we were bouncing from mountain top to mountain top in helicopters, just um, just shooting shooting wide shots. Wow. The and then moving to Rogue One again. So, like, what I love about your filmography is obviously you're exemplifying just like being a consummate performer and being someone that they can trust. And so, being able to move, you know, across the Game of Thrones seasons across uh, Alien versus Predator, and then now across Star Wars, you're able to kind of be the person they can trust and always call back and like kind of be be part of it. And with Rogue One and Moroff, what a great, like, I remember seeing Moroff for the first time and be like, wow, like, you have another furry alien. Like, this is exactly the Star Wars that I, I want. And uh, let's talk about Rogue One for a moment. And even bouncing from director to director, from JJ to Gareth Edwards, and being able to kind of see the differences on set, what were you kind of taking to this next experience and how are you kind of creating new characters every chance that you got? Yeah, Moroff was a great character. And I really, really, I was really upset that we didn't get a chance to explore him in great uh, detail because he was supposed to be part of the commando team that attacked um, the, uh, Mm -hmm. whatever it is, the um, 
the base, the whatever. Yeah. Base. <laughs> I told you, no hard questions. I'm not going to be like, give <laughs> me the exact. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and uh, it was just one of those unfortunate decisions that uh, was made right at the beginning, right on day one, actually. Right? Yeah. But, um, you know, the commandos were sneaking through the jungle. Mm-hmm. And there's this giant white hairy beast. Yeah. yeah. And uh, they said, look, I don't know. It's not, <laughs> can you be smaller? So actually, the director says, can you like be smaller? <laughs> no, <laughs> not really. <laughs> so they tried him in various places. They mm-hmm. tried him obviously in the um, in the commando team. That didn't really work. They tried him on the, the rebel base. That didn't really work either. And then we tried him in the um, in the Jetta scenes, and mm-hmm. that's where he stayed. Yeah, as part of the um, as part of the the rebel um, yeah the rebel group there. Yeah, and I think you know I think that's where it worked the best. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it, it very like you said, very stark and very imposing, but also just like intrinsically Star Wars. His his design, then how you carried him, very just like you like oh yes, that's like if you just kind of removed that from that situation and just put him on a wall somewhere but yep he's from star wars like that so that's that's what i love the roles you credited on imdb at least for last jedi and solo what were you able to kind of bring to those productions and what were you kind of able to to work on there that was the the rebel character we call him crockhead Mm, mm -hmm. bolly bolly prindle that was his name yeah and yeah not even in the film (laughs) <laughs> Almost not in the film. I mean, uh-huh. in deep background, not even in focus. I mean, in, like, three weeks of shooting. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I started off on stunts again. Mm-hmm. Pre-production stunt rehearsal. Yeah. Uh, I don't recall them in the movie. There's a great uh, um, train, yeah. train sequence where they hold up the train. It's like, um, you know, it's like a it's like a Western train heist. Yeah, it's absolutely it's fantastic. We yeah. were... We had a um, we had two lorries, two articulated lorries on a uh, uh, on a runway in a um, in a private airstrip in uh, in the south of England, and we were going up and down the runway, literally surfing on the back of this lorry, uh, greater and greater speeds. We got to about sixty miles an hour wow. to see to, to see if it could be done. <laughs> and it could be done, uh, but it was far too dangerous. And right. the um, the stunt coordinator he says. I've, to be honest, I really don't know why we're doing this because we're never going to use it as a method. Wow. It's to say too many things that can go wrong. Yeah. Oh my god. So in the end, the whole thing was shot. The whole thing was shot in uh, in one of the studios against the blue screen. Yeah. And uh, uh, Harry Decker uh, started soon after I did, and right. he, he did all of the uh, all of the other stunt work for that. And I came in uh, every now and then uh, just to um, just to fill in. Yeah. Uh, for him. And most of the time, I was uh, I was on set with uh, w- with Jonas, mm-hmm. and then another another unit sprang up because the production right. uh, schedule uh, got behind. So another unit sprang up, and I moved onto that as a, as a Chewy double. So we had three units going on most of the time: right. Jonas on the main unit, Ari on the stunt unit, and me on the, on a splinter unit. Love it. That's that's so great. I mean, moving from Star Wars to to the roles that you've been doing recently, and then ways that people can see you. Of course, Brave New World. As time goes on, where can people see you? What have you been doing? Things that you can talk about, at least. 
and uh, mm-hmm. and what have you been enjoying at least during during this next part of everything? I was quite um, I was kind of upset that Brave New World wasn't picked up for a second series. Me too. Because, yeah, um, I was really really excited about that. Yeah. Being a fan of writing, yeah, obviously it doesn't stick. It's very closely to the writing. Otherwise, it'd be very very short, miserable. Um, right series. But uh, yeah, it looked like the the way they were going with it was uh, was going to be very exciting indeed. But um, the directors were absolutely fantastic, and uh, the, the production values were were great. It was a joy to be a part of. And after that, I was working on a, um, a Netflix show called Irregulars, mm-hmm. which has finished finished a while ago. It was it's already been broadcast. I'm not sure if they're going for a second series on that or not. I'm in the next Robert Eggers film, The Northman, oh, which uh, uh, comes out next year sometime. It's now in post-production. We shot that during uh, lockdown last summer. It was the very first production to go ahead in strict uh, COVID-19 protocols. So we're very proud of that, even for that, uh, even for that fact alone. Yeah. You know, we actually got it done. Yeah. And it's going to be brilliant. It really is. Oh, I love Eggers, so I can't wait. Yeah, I've been I'm really looking forward to yeah. Incredible director, really, really wonderful man to work for and with. And uh, yes, yeah, so and and um, in terms of what I've done during lockdown, other than that, <laughs> and if you're a lot bits and bob, <laughs> yeah, I basically became a house elf <laughs> because we went into lockdown and very very quickly. Uh, I had to assume the um, you know the role of a, a stay-at-home dad for my mm-hmm. uh, son and um, a stay-at-home office manager for my wife uh-huh. and uh, everything that that entailed and emptying and filling the dishwasher a thousand times a day, emptying right. fishing in the washing machine a thousand <laughs> times a day, and everything else. And that's Hardly it. had any time to do any acting. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. No, I, I'm in the same boat right now where I'm just like, wait, how is this possible that the di- I just did the dishes? How are they? How are they not? Anyway, that's great. Uh, no, can't wait to see, especially the Northmen, and then can't wait to see what else you have in store because every time it's always something fantastical and something wonderful. And I appreciate this time, and I appreciate you coming on and telling these stories. And I can't wait to see what you do next. Well, thank you much for saying so, Ben. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much again to Ian for his time and for coming on the show. He was absolutely fantastic, and you should follow him on Twitter at Ian underscore White. We're here back up and at him with new episodes coming soon, including Scott Squires, William C. Dietz, Blair Bess, and so many more already recorded. And check out my most recent interviews in the Star Wars Insider, which came out this month. If right now you can leave a five-star rating and review for the show, it means a lot and really helps us out. So thank you very much. And until next week, stay tuned, leave that five-star review, and may the Force be with you.